you have reached Catching Foxes time with Luke. I'm here with on, on the phone. Uh, hey, Michael. Hi, Michael. Why are you depressed? Good eye, mate. Oh, <laughs> I was going to do a bit, Luke. I was going to do a bit, and I couldn't. No, I'm uh, I, I, okay. So I, I uh, Luke, do you ever feel like you're just the worst person on the face of the earth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, right after happy hour. Um, no, I just, uh, I am really struggling with my whole being a dad thing. How so? I, so I do the Sumo conferences. I'm doing three. I did the Ave Maria youth conference. So that's four. I'm doing faith in the fire of the Holy spirit at my parish this weekend. So that's five weekends all in a row. And there comes a point where your side hustle and your jobby job. So my job takes about 40 to, f- I mean, a normal week is probably closer to 45 to 55 hours. Summertime, it's like 40 because uh, there's less demands on me because most of my stuff that I'm in charge of follows the school year calendar, and I'm just doing more planning than I am dealing with people. However, there is so much going on right now, and I'm traveling, and I am getting on a plane at 6 o'clock in the morning, which means I have to be at the airport at, you know, 4. And I come home, and I'm done, Luke. I have no energy. And mm-hmm. last week, I went to go to the Ave Maria Youth Conference, which was um, an evening on Friday and then all day Saturday. And I was out. Thank God, this guy, Brian Scanlon, he's a saint. He sent me out on the earliest flight possible. I got home at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, which is pretty awesome. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he did that. He's like, you know, there's another flight leaving at like 2.30, but you wouldn't get home until like 6.30. I knew as a dad, you didn't want to get home early. And I was like, that's exactly it. Um. The la- so I was about to get ready to go, and I said, hey, guys, my flight leaves at 7 a.m. I have to get to the airport at, like, 5, park my car. Um, I just want you guys in. And before I could finish that sentence, they just all three of my four kids, the oldest kids, we call them the bigs, they just start sobbing Aww. and sobbing. And then my oldest, Kateri, who's eight, just turned eight, she's like, why do you always have to leave, Daddy? Oh, gosh. And at first, my, like, response was like, well, you like eating, don't you, kid? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they don't understand anything like that. And then it's just me guilt-tripping them to take the guilt off of me. <laughs> <An> eight-year-old. <laughs> well, well, maybe, you little shit, didn't put so much glitter in your hair. <laughs> well, perhaps if you didn't have an addiction to my little, to the My Little Ponies brand, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> maybe you didn't have a little obsession with this thing called nutrition and hydration. I wouldn't have to leave all the time. Maybe if someone didn't have to burn calories to exist. (laughs) To burn calories. (laughs) Maybe if someone's cells did not. (laughs) Maybe if someone didn't have to be formed as a person in the faith and in what it means to be human, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have to own all these Bibles. (laughs) Because I literally own a thousand Bibles. Oh, man. No, it's just it's just this thing. And so now I'm like 
So I land. So this is what I did last weekend. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't want to complain, but I kind of do. I was in Toronto, do the thing all weekend. I'm in airports for hours and hours and hours in between flights. Flights delayed. I land. I take off when I should have landed. I oh. get home at twelve thirty in the morning. Up at six o'clock. Well, up at up at five thirty to go to to get ready. Go to work. And I have to work a full, you know, normal job. Then I drive to Austin with my whole family. Wonderful, wonderful church. St. Louis, King of France. Good listeners, supporters of the show. They came out and listened. Uh, I gave a talk in the evening, and then I did a parish retreat all day that day. I have wonderful friends, the Politos. Andrea Polito, longtime listener. Uh, Hi, her, buddy. Her brother, she hooked us up on a date when we lived in Austin, and then our, our, our wives and us, we all became really good friends. And I'm the godfather to their kiddo, me and my wife are, to their oldest, Rocco. I haven't seen that kid in so long. Uh, he was like a basically a little bit more than a fetus when he got dunked in the baptismal waters. That was the last time I saw him. So it was awesome going there and seeing him. But I did a whole day's worth of presentations while my wife was home alone. And I just, just feel just guilty and guilty and guilty. But I know that I have to do this or, or you know, Shannon doesn't get to stay home. Stay at home. I almost said live the life she wants, but that sounded like, I was being petty. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Shannon doesn't get to sit on a couch all day eating bonbons Listen. like Peggy Bundy. <laughs> Everyone knows she's not a fan. Yeah, Honestly, I know. We're talking about NASCAR. Hey, um, <laughs> can we just uh, take a break from the, our discuss about yet another left turn to talk about <laughs> Gomer's poor parenting skills? <laughs> so my wife actually came to my talk. Not only does she not listen to the podcast, she doesn't come to my talk. So she came to my talk because we had a sitter. Uh, the Politos were awesome. They got two sitters to watch all 16,000 of our children. And I just kept making fun of her the whole time. <laughs> I was That's like, and such I made a thing fun- that you and I. Sorry. No, was- Go ahead. I was like, and I made fun of the comments that she made of me. You know, I made fun of myself with. I'm going to show you love by tearing you down brick by brick. But one of the things I said was how much my wife loves NASCAR. And I don't care about sports ball. And uh, I made the joke where the other day she ordered Sling TV so that she could watch a race. And I ran out into the backyard. She's fill- the race just began, so she didn't really care. And she's filling up the pool, and I ran to the backyard. And I was like, Shannon, you just missed it on TV. And she goes, what? What happened? I go, oh, my gosh, they just made a left turn. <laughs> and she just stares at me so angry. And I, and I go, honey, at least three more times. I'm going to make that joke at least three more times. There you go. That's what you get for being born in St. Louis. <laughs> also known as flyover country because you don't want to so, stop there. <laughs> can you, like, okay, so. Yeah. But let's, let's so, okay, you obviously, ha- do you know how much you have to make a year? It's not so much a year as it is a month. I have to make 1500 extra dollars a month. Can you do a better job or be more strategic about what you take and when you take it? Uh, okay, so here's the problem. A sp- okay, so I have a stable income from my job. I got a little cost of living raise. I love my job, the health insurance it provides, and the salary that I get. I'm making more. I'm not complaining about my salary. I'm not at all. I make. I, in fact... I'm going to say that for later, but um, 
when you are trying to make it as a speaker, you balance feast and famine. I'm not Scott Hahn. I'm not Leah Darrow. I'm not Father Mike Schmitz, who I have to turn down people year-round. Now, I do have to turn down mm-hmm. people sometimes because they tend to cluster. Not a lot of demand for speakers over the summer except the big conferences. Not a lot of demand for stuff like that. So I'm trying to judiciously look at what I have going on. And um, it tends to, I say a lot of yeses because in the summertime, I don't have a lot of gigs and I panic. So especially in August and July, I'll say yes to a lot of things. And then I realize, oh crap, they're all, I just look to see if the week is clear, the day is clear. And then I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm drowning. So mm-hmm. there's an element where I can be a little bit selective. This summer I'm doing well, but that's only because of my secret thing that I can reveal here in a couple of weeks. But um, I actually got a big chunk of money for that. And so I'm, I'm able to breathe easy right now <laughs> as my van steering wheel shakes violently when we drive because <laughs> it's a 12-year-old car. So I don't know. It's just things like that that I just, I'm, I, I'm, and I've always told this to my wife. I'm anxious about money. I'm always anxious about money, not because I don't think we have enough or don't won't have too much. I just, I just worry over this stuff. My dad never taught me this stuff. I don't know how to deal with this stuff. I'm a Dave Ramsey fan, only to kind of give me some bearings in life. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's um, it sounds to me, and I listen. I'm, <laughs> I'm the last person on earth who should give who should be giving anyone. Well, I, I do it. I, I have I know sound financial principles. I'm married and economics major. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, those are two very different things. Um, it reminds me a lot of like just like people who are in bands and stuff, and how you have to balance that, or athletes and different things where you um, there are periods where uh, cash flow, the amount of the amount of money you bring in is is incredibly high and there are times when it's when it's nothing and that can be very um, difficult to try to manage especially when you have a family and when you have things that pop up and how to really prepare for all of that stuff it's tough man it's very easy sorry go no, well, I just think, especially in a case like that, it's so easy, especially to be working. And I, I'm not trying to say that, like, Catholic speaking is a business in the sense that, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a really higher calling to that, like, when you're doing the talks and stuff, and it's very important. It's very important. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. But let's just, I mean, it is important. And, but I think especially when you have side gigs or things like that, it's really important, that, and I don't know if you're doing this or not, so I, I would be curious to know. Do you take time to work, like, on your stuff as opposed to working, like, in it? So I don't mean, like, preparing your talks or anything like that or, you know, that stuff that you probably don't do anyways. I mean, um, like, trying to make sure, like, are you, like, allocating, like, funds a certain way so you, like, are – do like, do you do work to make sure that, like, if you have a busy June – that can make up for a slow October. That's kind of why I say yes to a lot of things because I know that October is really slow for me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I say yes to every weekend in the summer, I will have enough cash to carry me through those weaker periods in October, November. But really, it's November, November, December. Once the holidays come, it kills yeah, me. yeah, sure. Do do you know if like? And I'm I'm not trying to be like, oh, I know all of the answers. I'm just trying to, like, prod a bit. Like, 
So I hope I'm not like I don't want to like piss you know piss you off or Luke. My life is an open book. <laughs> well, I know that your <laughs> loins are an open book, my friend. Um, <laughs> Never denied it. <clears throat> um, you don't want to with me. You can't deny. Um, okay, so like okay, so like pro athletes <laughs> tend to be paid only during the season. So you have a lot of them. Who like will not a lot, but there's like a lot more than you would think. Who spend yeah. all of, they are, they actually are paycheck to paycheck, and then try to write out their last two or three paychecks for the next like three to four five months or so. We've all seen that thirty for thirty. <laughs> yeah. A stunning number of athletes, especially in the NFL, where you're paid on a week to week basis, are living paycheck to paycheck, quite literally. We saw this in the lockout, where one of the problems was what happens to all the athletes who were relying on that next check to come in. Des Bryant picked up a $56,000 bill at a restaurant. That's outrageous. I mean, you start looking at those numbers, and that is a big part of what he makes after taxes. That's about $110,000 of what he made in his contract. Like, are you able to, I mean, have you ever, like, gone, okay, so if I can make, like, you know, 2000 in the month of uh, June, I can take five hundred dollars and save that for October, or November. I have a lot of money in my savings account. Well, then what are you worried about? Everything, Luke. I'm worried about <laughs> everything. I'm worried about I, my I, car breaking down. That I have to put a ten thousand uh, dollar pay for ten thousand. My kids, every single one of them, they're going to need glasses, braces, and probably a wedgie. I don't know. They are no, but, horrific. But, Buckets of money <laughs> suck. Listen, listen. I have four kids, all of whom are about one week older than the other, and all they do <laughs> is scare me with the potential money that they could cost me. I'm not trying no, to be. I, listen, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm naturally this way, but I, when it comes to money, because growing up, I never had any understanding of it. Now I have an academic understanding of it, and I, I have, I have enough money saved. For multiple rainy days. I could quit my job today, and I could go for six months without a paycheck. Maybe four months. And we would be okay. However, I'm still scared. <laughs> I'm still scared. And it's only that is only because of this new, my side gig that I can talk about in two weeks. Um, that's only because of that. And if it wasn't because of that big bump, I would be, I would be kind of, it would be normal. It would be, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. Summer months are good because of student bill conferences, but after that, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, better say yes to that core team training in Berlin, Texas. <laughs> sorry, and I, I, I don't think that I'm trying. I don't know. I'm just trying to help. I'm sorry. I suck. No, you're good. You're good. No, you're good. You, the, the reality of what you just did for me is you pointed out in one exclamatory phrase how stupid I'm being <laughs> because I'm just scared. Because here's no, the other but, thing. Here's kind of let me tell you the other thing I just did. I told my boss. That in the next couple of months, because I'm doing all these side gigs, I want to decrease my salary from the church so that we can hire a Spanish-speaking person to help hmm. me in doing Spanish ministry. Because having Spanish volunteers, I really do think just isn't close enough to what we need to be doing. And so I, I, my church is amazing in what they pay me, and I do have a side hustles, plural, that are going well, that I can breathe easy. And I believe that the good of the church 
means that lay people need to adopt. If I'm an employee of, of a church and a private school, this might be somewhat controversial, but I don't think I should try to make as much money as the parish can possibly pay me. I know there's a lot of people, you know, justice and just wages. I'm already making a just wage. I'm not trying to make $32,000 a year. I'm making much more than that. So I can breathe. I know my fellow youth ministers out there scratching by it at $28,000, even though their graduate degree costs them thirty dollars or $40,000 a year. Um, I'm not in that place, okay? But I, I think that in being a good steward of my life and not letting money own me, that I would rather take a decrease in salary so that we can pay someone who I think would be amazing at that job. Hmm. Well, and I think, too, like with your side stuff, you're able uh, to um, like that can like you can make up for all of that. That's what I'm saying. If I didn't have these things lined up, catching foxes, uh, the the talks. Right. And this other thing that I'm doing that I can't wait to talk about. If if I if I didn't have that, then I wouldn't have done that. I would have been like, hey, uh, you can bump it up a little higher. Hey. But yeah. no, I'm good. I'm good. And I, I need to know that I'm good. I need to be content. Like St. Paul talks about, right? Be content with where you're at. I need to be content. And I need to be content in the sense that it's fruitful and it's good. And it's just, it's just that I have these very human anxieties. St. Paul, when he was talking about celibacy, right? He talks about to the Corinthian church, like, I wish you were all were like me. And he was single. But at one point he says, the unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, whereas the married man is anxious about uh, things of the world and how to please his wife. And while that it's a very funny way of putting it, I think, but it is very true that there is an, an anxiety that creeps into your life when you're a husband and when you're a father, and I'm sure it's true, I'm just not one, when you're a, w- a wife and a mother, about having enough for a future that you can't predict, right? And so if my kid were to break their legs, I ha- a break a leg or something like that, and I were to get, you know, like, like there, it, it can cascade so easily with little kids, their expenses. And so uh, there is always this, there, uh, there's no other word for it other than anxiety or fear. There's an anxiety that exists in the back of my mind that says, get more money because you don't know what's coming around the corner. And I don't know if I think that's a good, th- I don't think that's, number one, as an anxiety, I don't think that's a good idea to have as a Christian I mean, Jesus explicitly mm. says, have no anxiety, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, huh. So my, me, I talked about it a little bit with Shannon, and then I had a meeting with my boss, and I said that to her, and she's like, I said, I'd like to talk about my future with your, uh, with, with, um, with St. Anthony. And her eyes got really big at her job, and I go, no, 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 it's good, it's good. Uh, I want to talk about taking less money from you so that we can hire really good people. And that's what I believe in, you know, like I believe that our parish can be amazing and I want to be all in for like our Spanish community. I want to be all in. And I think, you know, uh, there's more that could be done. And how awful would it be? How awful would it be if I find out that we could do amazing work in our community and among the staff and, you know, the salary of, you know, of, of me was holding that back. 
You ever think about that, like a sports team that pays a lot of money to like a, a J.J. Watt type character where they hang all their hopes and all their revenue on one person and it almost prevents them from being able to hire maybe just better people in different positions, you know? In basketball, it's called the Patrick, the Patrick like Ewing effect where you yeah. have a player who's just so good that it just but you're not really able to do much besides whatever suits that that person. Yeah, and my so like yeah. wouldn't that be awful if you hired us uh like I I know people who work in the ministry field who have to have a they have to work in a place that's affluent because they have needs outside of indulgence. This isn't them being indulgent. But I like I met one guy who had five parishioners donate five uh twenty five thousand dollars a year for five years so that he could have a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar salary as a DRE. Now, that is absurd, except the fact that he lives in the most expensive uh neighborhood or you know the church is in the most expensive neighborhood yeah. in North America. And he can't live within a forty mile radius unless he makes six figures. Mm-hmm. And so he got five parishioners to each donate twenty five thousand dollars a year for five years. And they did it. And at the end of that five years, the recession hit, and they all reneged and said, well, we can't do it on. And he said, all right, I'm out. And he left the church because he knew he couldn't do good ministry if he's commuting an hour, an hour and a half, L.A. area, an hour and a half in just to do that work. <laughs> in this part of, like, L.A., it's this guy. It's this guy. His name's Steve. Boo, Steve. Boo. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, there are things. So, yeah, like, I yeah. know people with, like, medical stuff, all, all that stuff that – you know, kids' medical stuff that contributes to needing a higher salary. And so they are forced to say no to a lot of stuff. And there is that thing with me that I have a fear of those things down the line. So I say yes to everything on top mm-hmm. of my amazing job. But now I'm starting to find, and this is just honestly, Luke, I don't want to be a jerk, but I really do feel like this is just coming from I, I, the, the Lord has, the, I have a special grace now that I've never had in my life. Where when I sit down with the Bible, I don't want to stop reading it. I feel like I and I feel like the Lord is just re-knitting my brain in certain areas. And one of it is about my fears over money. And that's why I feel guilty now, is because I feel like I've let that fear dominate it to the point where I I'm leaving my kids too often. Hmm. That's a, that, I think that's and now I'm an external processor. I feel like maybe that's what's going on. My kids, you know, they miss their daddy. Sometimes I get them to drive me to the airport. Other times I got to leave at 4 o'clock in the morning. But I can put bread on the table, you know, chicken in every pot. My kids can go to gymnastics, which well, they're good and, at. You know. <laughs> which they're good at. What, what? Scholarships? Uh, but not, uh, <laughs> never mind. Um, Scholarships to homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. My daughter uh, gets here and goes, Daddy, I don't know if, no, no, I do know. I don't want to be in the Olympics. I was like, no, you're, you're six when you said, okay, mm-hmm. all right, don't stress oh, yourself. No, 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 daddy wants to ride this gravy train. You got to get a, you got to get a training. Come on. Oh, oh you Let's think go. I care about your feelings in the matter? You're going. <laughs> no, no, no. Someone has really bad lungs and couldn't play sports in high school. Plus, he may have been homeschooled by grandma. So. <laughs> Someone was a chubby little nerd and he's living through you because you're so dang flexible. So you will be going to the 20. 20- 24 games in Skokie, Illinois. Oh, <laughs> uh, crap. I had a really good question for you, and I forgot it because I wanted to make yeah. it. Was it in German? No. Um, oh, shoot. I forgot my point. Man, 
Sorry. There we go. Well, um, no, no, I, I, it's, it's good to talk about these things. And I really want to encourage, like, anyone, like, if, if you work at a parish, if you have, like, just, like, a, like a real jobby job or whatever, like, don't be afraid to talk about these things, like, with your friends. I know it's kind of taboo to really talk about money and stuff, so you don't necessarily have to get specific. Uh, Gomer and I do when, like, we talk about it, like, n- not on the podcast because, you know, we're just really good buds and, you know, it's just, like, isn't a big deal. But I don't know. I think it's important to really talk about this stuff. Like, to have people, yeah. like, not all the time, but in a moderate, um, in a prudent fashion when you need to. Because, like, I think you just having to talk about this for, for the last 25 minutes was good for, was one just good, good for people to hear you like go through this, and I think it was good for you to be able to process that. And I was able to uh, post a bunch of, like listener question stuff, so we have stuff for the back half of the podcast. <laughs> We're good to go, the my back friend. Nine. The back nine, the back nine, the That's back awesome, nine. That's awesome, man. Hey, why don't we take a little pause right now? I'm gonna go get a glass of water and you're in it. Okay. What do you want to do? I'm gonna actually do the same, and I'll pull up the questions. I've got a story. Can I tell you a story? I would love to hear it. So a couple of months ago, it's the NBA Finals. About a couple of months ago. I think I mean last June. And Erin is a big San Antonio Spurs fan. She likes the NBA, and so we decided to watch it. The Spurs weren't in, but she just wanted to watch it. And so we have it on, and all of a sudden I hear her go, You're trash, Tristan Thompson. And I was like, What? And then, like... He gets a ball again, and she goes, you're trash, like that. I'm like, why do you hate that guy? And, so, and then she got mad because I used the word hate. And then she said, because he cheated on Khloe Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> and so every time he would get the ball, she would just go, you're trash, Tristan Thompson, like that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. I just um, – so when I went and grabbed water, Aaron was watching the, Kar- the Kardashian the kardashians and apparently kim from like five or like sorry kim kardashian from like like before kanye west was more enjoyable than kim kardashian now (laughs) so there you go like i didn't know there were like other kardashians or jenners there there's (laughs) there's a rob uh yeah there's another one (laughs) i just didn't know there's like a Chloe, a Kylie, Kim, Jim, Slim. Just kidding. There's no Slim Kardashian. I made that one up. <laughs> I see what you did there. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. All right. Are you ready for this? Uh, yeah. Can I can I just say a couple things real quick? Yeah, of course. I just want to say something real quick. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, anyways, everyone, it's been a good. Uh, number one, Rebecca. Rebecca Procure, Procure, uh, she deleted her email or her Twitter account after our conversation last week. Huh, no way. She she nuked it. She said even though she still checks it a million times a day. She wrote that on our um, Patreon page. And uh, I thought that was great. I thought that was great. And I want to talk about something else. I think that's wonderful. Um, There's a guy named Nathan. And Nathan wrote me about 67 pages, if it were an email were posted into a Word document, about a lot of stuff that we talked about in our uh, last podcast about atonement and redemption theology, especially around 
Protestant um, penal substitutionary atonement and imputation of righteousness. Well, for those of you who don't know, me and Luke kind of went a little bit deeper, about 10 more minutes into the weeds of that of that book that I had mentioned about N.T. Wright from N.T. Wright and uh, got a little bit more of the theology about it. And I posted that in our Patreon page and he wrote uh, like he loved that. And then he wrote this massive email and uh, I'm really excited about what he's saying because I'm seeing a lot of the same things. He was referencing the free church versus the, okay, it's just, it's just crazy. So there's a Protestant debate, you know, salvation by faith alone in the Protestant community. There's a debate. What if I have Jesus as my savior, but not as my Lord? Like, can I accept him into my heart as my savior, but not live in any way, shape, or form the way he wants me to? Meaning, have let him have lordship over my life. It's called the lordship controversy. And he references in this email, I heard about this when I was 12 years old, living with my dad in California. And my dad was got me into Scott Hahn audio cassettes. And Scott Hahn mentioned this debate between Ryrie and Hodges and MacArthur. And now I've been watching tons of MacArthur and all these like crazy reformed church people. But this guy talks, it was just, it was just so fascinating for me that it, it like connected literally a 20 year thread of my life. And, uh, hmm. my only, my, it, it's just funny how like, you know, like all these old things and I'm like, wow, okay. I like this. And, um, yeah, so I, I stayed up late at night last night just reading through the, this is, this is, this is, it was actually, it's beautiful. The, um, decree on justification by the council of Trent and on original sin, uh, which was published a year before. Uh, it's just, I just love it. I love it. I'm sorry. I'm done. But these are our listeners who are writing, um, really great stuff. And, uh, they're not just on Patreon, but Patreon's one of the places. Connor, Connor told me that he went to play the, um, the game, um, the catching foxes game, you know, the, Oh shoot. What is it called? The Catholic card game. And, uh, it, one of the cards was if you don't, if you don't laugh at blank, it's just sad. And then the other card was having a stroke. Did I already tell that one? Oh, that's so funny. Oh, crap. It was the other Irishman. It was Sean. Sorry, Sean. The other Irishman. <laughs> the other, we have two Irishmen who love our show. Oh, oh Sean that, and Connor. That crippled Irishman. Yes. <laughs> that was oh, a no. stroke in case no one got that. It's okay. And then uh, Stacy invited me to the Apple Austin store, and I wasn't able to go. Or Apple Austin building, I wasn't able to go. But what? Wait, awesome wait, what? Yeah, wait, yeah. Wait, she, wait, wait, wait. I did a talk what? in Austin. You got invited um, to Apple Austin. What? What? What is this? You get a watch. You get invited to the Apple Austin building. What do I get? <laughs> well, I don't know. What crap Scream, do you have I in get, Cincinnati? <laughs> I get one star reviews on iTunes called Jerks for Jesus. <laughs> have, you, have you read that? No, 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 but uh, you know, I'm, he's, he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a she. Oh, she's not wrong. In Stacy's defense, though, uh, she's the one that sent me the Apple Watch. So. <laughs> Stacy! Oh, she's good people. She is good people. Oh, oh man. All right. No I just want to give some some thanks and some shout outs. Um I'm uh, I'm excited about life. Holly Hoover, she's great. She's funny. I just love I love our fans. I love our fans. Donald, he had to take his pledge down, but I don't mind it, Donald. It's good that you do that cuz you're still pledging and we still love yeah. you. Yeah. No, honestly, thank you again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We don't we don't do that enough. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we we should probably post more on there. I really want Patreon to just freaking allow have more than one content creator on an account. 
Yeah, so people, if you're wondering why, if you do, if you donate like one dollar, two dollars, this is not a donation sale. But if you wonder why we're on there so rarely, it's because it doesn't let Luke get on unless he goes through my account because I'm just the guy that set it up. But you can't log on from a suspicious web browser unless it texts you a a secondary authentication token and uh, you know a little password via text message. And so it just adds this layer of complication that we just can't seem to coordinate together. But we'll get it one day. One we'll day when we finally only have three pa- three Patreon supporters. Yeah, I mean, technically this month we did lose money. <laughs> For the first month we actually lost money. We got new patrons. Wait, but we still lost money. We lost money? How so? Well, it, for the first month that actually went, we have a negative amount of pledges we didn't lose money we just didn't get as the total from last month to this month went down oh no someone hates us oh two people hate (laughs) us but it's fine i take it so personally every time if a person stops yeah which is funny because i have had to adjust my payments for other patron patreon things and my own things that i donate all the catholic things i've had to adjust it so many times and i'm like well it's no big deal i just don't have the money right now but when someone does it to me, I'm like, why do they hate me? Was it something Luke said? It was something Luke said. <laughs> I check it so often. It's, we're so needy. All right. Can we get to the questions? Oh. All right. Question Not, one. What, no. is Luke's, what is Luke's favorite Brave Saint, Brave Saint Saturn album? The Light of Things Hoped For album number two or the sequel in the trilogy of the USS Gloria? Ugh. It's a bit too much for me, but yeah, no, it's totally the light of things. Hope for there's no bit too much. There's for no content. <laughs> I I um I really <laughs> I appreciate the other two albums in their own way. There's some really really great stuff on both of them, um, but I think they were just in that sweet spot on on album two. It is so flipping good. Every song is great. So if you haven't uh, if you haven't checked that out, please do. Band the band Brave Saint. Brave St. Saturn, and there we go. Pulled through the end there. Did you say Saturn? <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm always tired. Uh, that's my secret. Um, Brave St. Saturn, and the album is The Light of Things Hope For. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. What's your five-year plan for catching foxes? <laughs> uh, we told you before, to keep, to keep on doing catching foxes. Um, do you guys understand how hard it is to do this weekly? I know. You know what's uh. so funny? Like, this is, I mean, I, I know, I think some people kind of hate how, like, meta we get, but I think this is actually very important to, to some of the things that we to talk about. The older, Judging by how many Catholic podcasts have started after our podcast started, I think some people actually really like it when we talk about this stuff. But we'll keep it short for those who don't. Um, there, what, 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 I've started to really, really, truly understand in like a, in a pretty deep way the importance of just doing one thing really well, as opposed to trying to be all things to all all people. Just do one thing really well, and we have tried to start so many different side projects with this, or side things, or little like um, f- fun things here and there. And I just don't know if we can do that. I I think there's something to like. If we just keep doing this podcast and that's it, I think there's value in that. I could be wrong, but just like there's always a desire to like do a podcast on this or or do like like and I don't I just as we get older and our lives get crazier, 
I don't know, man. I, I just like it's just. It, don't you think it's funny how it's like I I I, I had this other um, podcast idea, and I was like, but I just do I really have the time to do that? And am I really? And if I try to do these other things, am I going to be? You know, am I going to hurt the quality of catch? Can can I just be okay with being Luke from catching? Foxes and our podcast being a thing that comes out once once a week with an extra episode on Monday for Patreon listeners. Like, can I be okay with that? Uh, uh, uh. Well, I'm going to tell you that I um, I am in love with the podcasting format. And Joey Joey Muckenthaler called me called me to the carpet because he said, "Hey, I love the fact that you're talking about those future podcasts you want to do, and you ignored us." Because me and him uh, tried to do the Beer Me a podcast thing. And it's great. You can go to beerme.fm. I'm still paying for it. But uh, the um, I want to do this podcast with him because of you, Luke. You inspired me with a whole human virtue and stuff like that. And it's like, let's just do a human great formation. Yeah, human for Yeah, human virtue. <laughs> um, no, but I, it was great because it's like the idea of a, a podcast around beer where two Catholics are not talking about Catholicism. But Catholicism is a part of every single thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's like we talk about camping well, and but, family. But, and and it's not that that's a bad idea, or, but it's just – it's a matter of um, do you really – do you I – mean, I, 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 like, you don't have to answer this right now. But do you really have the time to do that well? Because what's the opportunity cost of, of, of doing that? Yeah, the hardest thing with doing the podcast um, with – Joey in particular is just the editing after because it, we sit down at his bar and we go through all the stuff and we have to deal with customers coming up and all this stuff. And I, I just remember like, you know, to, to edit it well. And it's a good, I mean, if you go to beerme.fm right now, you can hear two shows. I think they're good. Um, what we do is we have a flight of beers and for every beer we have a subject. So it's four subjects and the beers are pretty short, you know, they're flights. So it's like, what, five ounces. Um, and, uh, and it all came from when I called beer swallowable and you're sippable. I meant to say gulpable. And, uh, yeah, that was embarrassing, but he's like, I will teach you how to like craft beer. And now I do. And I want to talk about it. I love it. But that, you, I mean, you're right. That what is the opportunity cost of, of doing an hour long show or a 45? We actually kept it to about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there also is this thing where one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is because I love you. And I want our the podcast is a way to keep our friendship going because I don't talk to people on the phone. I haven't called our you know our other friends from call. I don't call people. I don't do that. And so this was a way for me to do that. This is also a way for me to stay close with my boy Joey. Um, and I would yeah. love to do that. No, and, and you know that's valid. That's valid. I learned through a couple things. Uh, I can't really talk about some of them, but um, one of the things. <laughs> We're so coy. <laughs> Sorry, I know. I feel like a, like an asshole. Um, that you look like one. My brother-in-law Brian brought to me was, was I was trying to ask people like how much would you want to get paid for like to like record a podcast episode, an article, post like a YouTube thing. How much would you want for that? And he brought up the old the opportunity costs plus resource allocation slash rental. And I was like that. I forgot about that. That that makes like a lot of sense. And when I started to think about that for us in our podcast, I think for me, if I were to really 
if I were to have to record another podcast or do something else that I wasn't insanely passionate about and it's like I want to do this every week no matter what because this just like this this is worth that cause the um if the emotional reward was greater than $185 because that's what I've learned for me yeah. is like if anything that I've done like I was doing this article for the, our Archdiocesan news newspaper and I got paid $100 per per article it wasn't a priority. It just and I I try I tried so hard to like stay on top of that, but I I just with everything else I had going on, I couldn't do it. And I was like, why? Like it's nice to have this extra hundred like um hundred bucks a month, but I think when I really stopped and like realized how like what the what now that opportunity cost for me is, I was like, I think that's why. I think if I was making around that much. It would be more of a priority, but I can just do something like this, which is a lot more fun, which I, which I'm a lot better at, um, and like make more money doing this than like having to write that article. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. You know? No, it totally does. Like the the thing is like, hey, can I give you a hundred more dollars? That sounds great, but is it going to cost me about? $300 worth of effort to do. Like, if you were to say, Michael, I want you to start a podcast. I want you to record, you know, a 20-minute podcast of just you alone talking on, you know, XYZ topic. I could probably do it, but to do it well, I would spend four or five hours. Because when you do something alone, you can't bounce stuff off each other. And so I would just, it would just, spending four or five hours, I don't have that time anymore. So if I'm going to do another podcast, I have to be able to kind of probably push out the um push out the uh the editing the editing is what kills me so um yeah so if you're asking what's our plan for the next five years it's to at minimum keep doing this and at maximum maybe me and luke do some additional podcasts on the side do a sporadic catching foxes ruins the movies where we just do it whenever we you know do it whatever um i don't i don't think it's and I and I think the live shows in Old Knights of Columbus Halls is a good idea. Yeah, I, it's um, I the, the important thing though, and I, again, I know people hate it when we talk about the podcast on our podcast. I, I want to keep this more and just like, why is it hard to do do things on top of something you're you're already doing? I think this is a common problem just just with you know in ministry and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Sorry if you hear my dogs dogs. Barking, uh, someone probably just went up the stairs, um, and that's scary. Apparently, I think it's really important to not go on to other things unless you know what you're doing is to the. You're, it's as good as it can possibly be, and sus- and sustainable as it is right now. Like and like, you could add on other th- things. You know, like like. Like regardless of what else is going on in your life, that's still sustainable. Yeah, you know, and if um, and that's actually really hard to get to that point. I th- think I don't. I'm not quite convinced that we're actually there yet. I think it takes. I don't. I don't. That might be the ten thousand hours thing. I don't really know. Um. I just I think that's actually a lot harder than we give it credit for. Yeah. We went deep with that one, huh? We did, we did. 
So, um, how's your prayer life going? You doing well? Hanging in there? Yeah, I mean, I'm reading an hour of scripture every day and praying it and just immersing myself in it. Um, it's been going really well. Nice. Yeah. You? Nice. Um, it needs to be better. I'll be real honest. I've, I, I've hit a uh, post-Easter, man. I just had a hard time. That I had a really, really hard time. Uh, I was doing so well during Lent, and then Easter came, and it was just like, yeah. Um, so I'm trying. To, uh, I had a good prayer time in my car. Uh, that's that's a problem. I, I don't. Yeah, I got to do a better job of saying this is what I'm going to pray. Um, okay, my let, schedule's just. Let weird. me let me hmm. talk to you about this. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I just finished rereading the Benedict Option, and I would love to have. Actually, I, I really want to have the author on the show. One of the things that he talks about is one of the ways that we could incorporate a benedictine style way of life into our own way of life or like the you know something from the rule is the notion of set times for things and obviously with a crazy ministry schedule like we have you can't always do that but set times for things and forcing yourself to say no to everything else so that those set times for things can happen like for Mm -hmm. instance in a monastery you pray when the brothers set the time for prayer your whole life has to fit within the times for prayer. So all the work that you're doing and whatever has to fit within the time of the communal prayer and, and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So he said, so for instance, if you were to have dinner time at 5.30, you might be incredibly hungry at 2.30. It doesn't matter. You eat at 5.30. You don't snack at 2.30. They said the reason being is by setting those times, you force your will right? You force your will to have more self-discipline, right? You just, Hmm. and then what ends up happening is not only do you have to deny yourself, but after a while, your body adapts and you have greater freedom. You have greater freedom that, hey, look, it's 2.30. Usually this is the time when I have a a, a Coke or another coffee or something like that, but I'm only drinking water and I'm only going to have you know, whatever food when it, when it is the meal times or whatever, whatever your thing is, you know, I know a lot of people now that are just doing intermittent fasting. They're just doing the one meal a day thing. Ooh. And that's what I did today, but that's not my regular schedule. And, uh, I just, I find that that is very, uh, yeah, I find that it's very interesting to, um, force yourself under certain tent poles of your day that you have to kind of conform your life within. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I do that good I, for my kids, but not for me. That's that's interesting because I wonder how many parents for their kids will automatically stick to some kind of routine without really stopping to think about why it's important to do that. I, I, I'm just going to say I don't think great things – you know, like me and you were talking about comedy, and you said the interesting thing is the funniest people have the strongest work ethic. You know, they're just always – writing and writing and thinking and puzzling over mm-hmm. jokes like they have the strong work ethic crafts your day around these things like no i have to wake up and i have to start cranking and i don't just mean i have to do a jobby job it, it can be i have to start praying i have to write yeah. freely for That's 30 true. minutes or whatever it is yep yeah um it's like the whole like well no sorry uh the person who's my example for that we can't say his name anymore um but you write you write at like nine o'clock because it's it's nine o'clock and that's what you do at nine o'clock. You write. 
Um, yeah. I, w- what has been going well for me, and I really, I do really enjoy this now, is I pray the Angelus at, at noon er, at, every day. That's been great. Yeah. I've really, I've really enjoyed that. I find a lot of, um, I don't know. So, like probably everyone else, I kind of use a lot of, um, I, I, I use a lot, I don't have a spiritual director, so I like to go to, I like to go to Father Mike Schmidt's stuff and just find uh, a thing that's kind of like hitting me and really kind of see what he has to say about it. And he had one thing that really just hit me and my, I mean, just with my own life, but especially within my, uh, within my, my, within my prayer life. And we say, I want to grow in my own life faith. Part of that means being more consistent, being more consistent with like that's what it is actually is the consistency. It's it's not how intense my prayer might be or how strong I feel it is that day. It's the fact that like I prayed that day, and doing that day after day after day, especially when it's hard over time, that leads to more faith than just like a prayer from like the depths of my soul. Which I mean, that's those things are good, but there's I think there's almost more power in a consistent prayer. Over time, I w- the other thing about consistency is all the things it forces you to say no to, sharpen the things you're saying yes to. And I know people say that all the time about fasting or abstinence or chastity or whatever, but it it is a rule of life that when or like a rule within life or a law within life that if you prioritize something and it by making a thing a priority, it forces you to say no to other things. I think that is the mark of of killing adolescence within an adult, right? Like your transition into adulthood is being like, no, these are the priorities. I can't send a text message and say, I don't feel well. I'm not going to do that. No, you made a commitment. You go and you do it. I think that it is a, um, it is a powerful uh, thing to say no to something because you have a yes, a greater yes to something else. And it shows you, and by you, I mean me, my lack of discipline when I find it just almost impossible, like a freaking diet, like impossible to stay to it because mm-hmm. like I make these excuses. This is one of the excuses I make. So I was at, um, I'm in Toronto. They take us out to this restaurant after we're done for the day. And then they say, you know, eat whatever you want. It's free. Well, I, and then I buy like the, just crazy stuff that I wasn't even really all that hungry. And then I find myself eating two pounds of barbecue wings. Like, like, oh, and also sweet potato fries because you're welcome. You know, and you just hit that point where you're like, why am, I, why am I making these decisions so poorly? Like, why am I so indulgent? Oh, right. It's because I don't know how to set a priority in my life. And, well, yeah. No, sorry. I did not mean to, to, cut, to cut you off there, so keep going. No, I was just going to say, and, and this manifests itself in a million different ways. But for me, frustratingly so, it's with, like, just freaking eating. Yeah. Well, and, and it's tough, too. And, I mean, I, I think it's important to also go easy on yourself a bit. So, like, you've got four kids. You've got a really – you have a hectic life. You, you, you have a lot of things going on. So I think it's easy, like, like a lot of people do, when we have those opportunities to indulge ourselves, to really take advantage of, of that – but I think if we were to take a step back, we'd see that we actually have a lot of opportunities within our modern culture to indulge ourselves. 
Yeah. You know, like I think about like how often, like for me, when I'm in my car a lot, because I have to, I I I, um, I have to uh, for my job of doing who knows what, I have to drive a lot. So it's easy to always have a podcast on in the car or to have an audio book on. But there does come a point where I'm like, I am just consuming things like crazy. I need to go, like, the next car trip, I'm not going to have anything on in, in my car. And my whole body, like, revolts against that. Like, I can feel, it's almost like, I, I almost feel like a panic attack for a bit. I'm like, how am I going to do this? This is going to suck. This is, this is going to be horrible. And I'm like, you know, I just need to take advantage of this to not indulge myself right now. Because I do feel like I'm working. I'm doing a lot. This is just kind of, like, nice. And I think it's um, without like beating myself up. It's just good to know. It's good to you know take a step back and really just remember that I actually do have a lot of opportunities to in to in to in to indulge myself, and it's good to be aware of that. That's a long ex- explanation for things that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, so that's good. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. Next question. Patreon.com slash CF. <laughs> um, I don't have my phone turned on, so so calm down. Um, no, there was one that I actually really did like. Um, I remember you've been critical of of efforts to bring overly academic speakers to to parishes in the past. Is that true? Ha- have I done that? You or me? Ha- uh, I think they mean both of us, but probably me. Why do you do parishes? Do you bring speakers to parishes? No, I think I think I've just been critical of the speaker thing in general, just in the, like the over reliance upon that. I think with, within a lot of parishes and stuff, but like um, I don't know if we've been critical of academic speakers, but I don't know. Well, perhaps perhaps we have. Well, let me just mm-hmm. say this in in line with that. Um, I do think that well, there there's there whole uh, there's a whole other half to this, but yeah. Sorry. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, I was just going to say... Um, that was not like the whole thing. Sorry. Okay. Go. I was just going to say that the having overly academic speakers only makes... Uh, you're, you're, if you're talking to a popular audience, they won't understand overly academic speakers unless they are known for being able to bring things down. Like Dr. Hahn, right? Dr. Scott Hahn, he's coming to my parish on September 29th. Get your tickets now. He can... Uh, he can make it simple. He, you know, there's a line that he uses, uh, you know something so well in order to state it so simply. But I don't want to bring in, you know, graduate students who don't know how to speak to non-majors. There is a difference in communication skills. It's not that you're dumbing it down. It's that you're not getting bound up in the hyper-specialization and technical language, you know. And so there's an element where some speakers, you can do that. They can, you can bring them in. And they can dip their toes in, in both worlds, but there are some that can't. And so that would be my only apprehension. I mean, I like smart people. I bring in smart people. I don't bring in stupid people. It's just I bring in people who can reach a bigger crowd. I don't bring in emotional people. That's the opposite. So, anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think I would, I would add there's – and we, I mean, to be blunt, we probably haven't done a good job of articulating this in the past. I think, if anything, I've been more critical of – when we tend to emphasize in in like we do tons of intellectual formation within the church 
And I think it's very easy to neglect the human side. Habits, um, actions, attitudes, things that require people to, like, dig deep. They have to, like, where, like, things where the people have to work at it in, like, in the moment at that point in time. And when and a lot of and I think a lot of the speakers that we bring in, we think they're doing human for uh, we think they're doing human formation, but they're not because in that like moment, people's hearts and attitudes, habits, sorry, um, sorry, backtrack. People's actions and habits aren't being formed. It's the intellect that is, and so there's a difference between those two two things. I think, and I think we have way much. We have way so like you can bring in a speaker to do like I'm um, a human stuff to do human um information. That's like that's easy. So it's not like it's the way that it's like how we go about it. That's like you can do highbrow intellectual stuff and do maybe doing you know and be doing. Uh, be doing human formation. So, um, anyways, just wanted to throw that in there. All right, what's the rest of the question? Uh, so, to really get to his, <laughs> shut the hell up. Um, <laughs> um, what can Catholics of an academic bent offer to their parishes aside from, besides from the lived witness of family life? Man, there's a lot. Like people, okay, here's the thing that I want you to do if you are of an academic bent. Have a symposium at your house. Tell everyone to bring booze and food to share. Have a topic that's prepared for 20 to 30 minutes beforehand and then discuss. And that's it. That's awesome. Do it at your house. That is so great. That is literally all I want to do right now with my young adult ministry. I just want to have symposiums on, on interesting topics and invite interesting people to talk on them. And then we can talk together and then pray together. Like people don't, I mean, the other thing that I did was I do things like um, if I'm going to do something a little bit more advanced, I'll set it up around the liturgy. So I'll say, all right, we're going to go through the soul of the apostolate uh, in 35 minute increments. So you can come at eight, get settled, get everything passed out at eight ten We talk at 8.40 or 8.15 we talk, at 8.40 we wrap up so that you can make the 9 o'clock Mass. But we went through a lot of in-depth stuff. We talked about contemplation and dark night of the soul and all these different things. You enable people to, who have been to the other classes to kind of, and I, I come from a parish that has a ton of classes that satisfies the intellectual kind of side. But if I were to do something like a, like a little bit more advanced theological study, like I think that's great. I think that's great. I don't think that's wrong to have that in a parish. Just offer it where there's something more than just the intellectual study, because I think that's a problem. Yeah. I, I think um, it's super. We actually, because of the way that things have, we we have a real industrial uh, kind of a model with um, how education has been run for the past hundred years in this country, and so this idea of how can I teach the most people. At the most, at like, how can I be, uh, how can I teach t- to the most people in one time? And so, what it tends to like lead is a thing where there's not a lot of discussion going on. It's just a straight up like lecture, which is great. Like, I mean, those things, those things are like extremely Im- 
important. But that's not the only way to learn. And that's not the only way that an, that an academic can contribute to um, the intellectual um, the intellectual life of a culture. You know, I think through talks, like you just said, like, like having actual conversations with people. I'm, to be blunt, being on, par- being on parish council is super important. And, like, volunteer at, at your, like, youth parish, at, like, youth ministry at, at your parish. Talk to the kids who are more academically bent and, like, talk to them about what they're learning at, at, at school. Um, go and visit older people with within the parish. Talk to them about their life, and you know, what I mean, like, there's tons of opportunities. To, like, really, I think I think the answer is is to get engaged with people at your parish. Yeah, I mean, uh, or or not even at your parish. Um, your parish is great because you can be rooted in a Eucharistic community, but also elsewhere, right? Like, uh, but, uh, this is one of the things I wanted to bring up. But Bishop Barron wrote this article on Rome Reports or whatever. Catholic World Report that um, he wrote like maybe we should be investing all of our money in the parish because the parish isn't missionary oriented. We should be investing it maybe a portion of our money in things that go beyond the parish. And he's like, I'm not just saying this because that's what I do. Um, you know, he is a diocesan bishop and upholds the parish, but there's a lot of initiatives that he was saying that's outside the purview or purpose of a parish. And apparently he's gotten a lot of like mostly negative reviews and comments, but um, you know, there is, there is nothing like, I think we should invest in our local parish, but also you as a layperson are free to go and do spread the word of God. You are free to do that. The church doesn't have to give you permission, right? It actually does in the code of canon law. I think it's two Oh five, but, um, you have the freedom to go and live and preach the word of God. So, st- like, don't wait for other people to do the thing and then ask you to show up. Just start doing it. Invite two or three people and start doing it. I'm telling you, the awesome thing, like, Bishop Barron's right. We have a stupid uh, obsession with, like, or an anti-intellectual faith, which is stupid and it's not Catholic. But the opposite is in academia, the opposite is a fully robust intellectual Catholic faith, which means it's spiritual, it's human, it's all the other things. It's not just mm-hmm. academic. Because here's the last thing I'm going to say, and I promise this will be the last. I think there's a problem with our Catholic faith that it's overly academic, that it belongs to the scholarly apparatus of higher education, and that our theologians are not pastors like the church fathers, and they're not preachers like the mendicant friars of Bonaventure and Aquinas. They're not known for having to take complex truths and speak it to the simple and to the practitioner who might not be reading scholarly journals. There's a poverty in our church today because the people who know are so overwhelmed with the minutia of things that don't change people's lives. Whereas the church fathers were so amazing because not only were they preachers, but they were also pastors. They were in it. They were not just saints doing theology on their knees. They were pastors of souls building communities and praying over dying people and marrying couples and doing all. They did the experience of the Christian life. And there's a poverty in our theology today when we can nail down what a word meant in Greek with anthropological studies and, and you know, um, archaeology and all this advanced, you know, history and scientific techniques that we use now in our history studies, 
trying to make it not a uh, liberal liberal science um, or liberal art. They, all these things that we do can get us a lot of awesome information about something very specific. It's analysis without synthesis. The, the life of the church is in the synthesis, not in the analysis. We need the analysis, but it's in the synthesis. It's in seeing the whole cloth uh, of, of Christianity. And I do think something terrible has happened when theology just became the domain of the theologian in, you know, who hides behind their degrees and doesn't come out from behind them to the people, right? Anima technica vacua. Electronic food. <laughs> no, but no, but like honestly, though, like that's I think that's one of the things that Balthasar, I believe, he says, not being a really big expert at this, is trying to get out. Is the it's like we take away, we've lost. We it's just analysis. We've lost the like lived experience of this, and so it purely becomes an academic exercise of the intellect, and that alone. And so we basically isolated grace. Yeah, and that's exactly that's exactly it. That is exactly it, Luke. You are so smart and handsome. That is exactly it. We have detached it from life, and when you detach it from life, mm-hmm. you detach it from grace. Well, and that's the whole thing about this whole like grace and nature thing that people tend to really ignore is we always talk about the isolation of the uh, like of like nature, and we never talk about how we isolate grace. Yeah. Yeah, we put grace off into a lonely, dark room. Let me tell you something beautiful. Can I tell you something beautiful real quick about grace? Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things that I have been studying is the history and theology of grace, how it's kind of unfolded, and how Mar- Lutherans and Pelagians have a lot more in common than they otherwise think. Uh, but one of the things that I love is Thomas Aquinas talking about grace, was trying to figure out how exactly as a Catholic, you know, Thomas Aquinas very very big into distinctions. He used Aristotle's categories to describe things. To describe things, and um, so he's looking for a more precise understanding of what grace is. And Peter Lombard, famous guy that wrote the sentences and all the stuff, um, medieval textbook using the fathers. He uh, Peter Lombard famously said that grace is God's own life, which is a shorthand way in the Catholics. Catholic Church is it's fine to say that, but so the question is: is grace something created or uncreated is it god's own life his very substance or is it something else and aquinas like well it's not literally god it has to be something created because if it were god then it would obliterate us by by nature he said but this is what it is it's an accident and it's like oh so when i first read that i'm like oh it's an accident that's sad like an accident it's not an uh, it's not uh, to my substance he says but if it was your substance it would obliterate you and that's not what grace does it's an accident. And what accident is it? It's quality. It's one of the categories of Aristotle. It's your quality. He says, so when grace, sanctifying grace, habitual grace, hits that, that part of your life, all aspects of your nature are elevated through that quality. Right? I, I love when you say, so it's like the quality of what I am changes. And so that way, there is this, the, what he calls the habit of grace changes everything without it obliterating who you were right so that's why we talk about this grace and nature because if grace was a, was divine life uncreated it would obliterate your substance who you are but because it's an accident it elevates all that you are and the cool thing about that is he was he was forced 
to come up with a new word because it blew Aristotle's categories out the water because habits are meant to be for your your will. Basically, it's towards action. But grace isn't about necessarily action. Secondarily, it is. But essentially, grace is about who you are and what you are. And so we called it an entitative habit. And the reason why this is cool is, you know, it's where entity, right? Being, right? So it's a habit of being, hmm. right? Now you get these phrases like habit of being that you've heard before, but it's rooted. It's an entitative habit. It's a quality by which God takes you up into his divine life. So it's a created reality in my soul where the indwelling Trinity takes me up into its divine life in all that I do. And then when I begin to sin against this, I begin to chip away at that, at that entitative habits ability to, to change me. So that's why you look at the letter of St. Paul to the Romans where he says, you must put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the spirit. You have this habitual life-changing grace. And he said, this is the coolest thing. So the book I'm reading, History and Theology of Grace, Father John Harden says, the closest thing to Aristotle's categories or Aristotle's understanding of that grace can compare that this is, I'm talking about sanctifying grace, right? Habitual grace. The closest thing they compare to is beauty. It's the closest because it affects the whole quality of a person. And I was like, oh man, that's where von, um, Hans-Urs von Balthasar gets in, right? That's where the glory of the Lord and, and all of those things with his obsession with beauty. This is like a grace in nature being elevated and lifted up. And I, I just love that notion. It was funny because then I read a thing from Martin Luther and he says, I do not say that grace is a disposition or quality. And then he like apologizes for using scholastic language. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, no, no, Luther, that sounded so awesome. And you went wrong. I said it. I said it. Mm. Yes. I, I just think it's so cool because Luther thought it was grace is a part of nature. So when Adam fell from grace, it obliterated his nature and you fall into total depravity. Right? So you can't get that. But as Catholics, we said, no, there's, human nature, and then grace is super added to it as a quality that elevates. So when we lost that, yes, we fell, but human nature wasn't totally depraved. It was deeply wounded, wounded intellect. Is that what, yeah. Is that why you have the idea that, like, you can still be like, I mean, you can not know God and try to strive for good and be a good, be like, like, that's why it's, you, that's why it's still, like, possible to be a, you know, good person if you have never encountered Christ. I would not go that far. What I would say, and, I, and I'm still reading through all this stuff. Please, 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 please. Send your emails to Luke at Carrie.com. <laughs> no, the lcarry 436 at gmail.com. See, this is the thing that Protestants say about Catholics, that they're wrong. They don't realize this. We say that you can be, have a noble pagan, a virtuous pagan. But what we don't say is that they can merit eternal life because they're oh so good. No, yeah, yeah, and no, so, that's, but, that's all I'm trying to right, say. Right, right, right. And so that, that's the only distinction that I would make. Well, when you say a phrase like a good person, what do we mean by that? Well, ultimately, if I'm made for grace, then being a good person, a whole person, would mean I have that grace in my life. But we do say that you can do without divine grace, uh, without the habit, that habitual grace, without sanctifying grace, you can still do a good thing because you still have the natural law written in you. But probably what will happen is you'll do that good thing but for the wrong motive or you'll do the wrong thing but out of a good motive, right? And there's always a – you're always struggling or bumping up against original sin, concupiscence, the weaknesses, so that even though you might do something good, it could be from a – you know, it could be tainted every so much, you know? Or, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's not – what I would mean is it's not salvific in its goodness. It might be good speaking from what Protestants would call common grace, 
what Catholics call the natural law, but it might not, it, it would never be meritorious, right? Yeah. No, oh, no, no. distinctions. Like, they are sensual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, were we doing Chewbacca? I thought we were doing Chewbacca. <laughs> no, no, I was doing um, sexy sounds about uh, distinctions. Right. Isn't that Chewbacca? Oh, I have been watching Star Wars all wrong. <laughs> I thought he was right, just going he, around being like, oh, there's a sexy distinction. I'm so addicted to cough drops. That's when everyone. Oh, man. To know that. That's so that good. Left field. But so good. And, I buy bags yeah, of 200 and just down them in a day. Not a day, but I just ha- I just have like one in my hand now that I just like opened up for some reason. And I'm like, I can't put this in my mouth while I'm talking or can I? <laughs> you got a big gullet. <laughs> So this one's kind of a long question, but I think it's good. I, I do. Uh, how would either of you recommend the Catholic approaches depression when it leads them to a place where they don't care to pray, even logically, knowing that it would help? How does the Catholic manage prayer when, quote unquote, nothing, uh, nothing matters? So, so basically, how do you pray? When you're in a point where you just feel like it's all false, it's all freaking pointless, why even, like, do this? When, like, every ounce of your being just feels that, even though in your mind you know it's not true. Are you, do you want to go first? Okay, so here's what I would say. Uh, I'm someone who doesn't really deal with depression on, a, like, a profound scale. I think, like like anyone, I am prone to like fits of being sad getting down i, I and I'm, because i'm so incredibly moody uh it's easy it's you know i can get pretty, i can i can get like i've i uh, have like a melancholic streak within me so i would say what's really important when that's going on is you have to okay two things one your emotions are not always a good gauge of reality your emotions are not always a good gauge of reality. So just because you feel something doesn't mean that that's reality or that that's true. It, it absolutely can be, but it can also not be. So I think it's – and so especially when what you feel tends to go up against reason, um, something might kind of be off there. Um, two, trust. I think it really comes down to, to trust. You just have to trust – that even though you don't feel a thing and it all feels like it really doesn't um, doesn't matter, that it does. I, I think it's kind of the answer, like, like what is the answer to doubt? The answer to doubt is actually obedience. And I wonder if, like, the answer to depression and when we're sad and we don't want to pray and we, or if we just feel like it's all so pointless is trusting that it's – that, it, it, that, you know, it, it does have a point. It does – it really, like, you know, does matter. And that what I'm going through right now isn't like reality. It's not. A, it's not a good gauge of like what's actually real and what's and what's not. It's a thing that I'm experiencing either through the chemicals going on in my head. There's some type. There's some type of an um, imbalance there, or like a lack, or whatever. Or like maybe just going through, like you just have a lot of stuff going on, and it's you know, uh, I'm a person who's it's very uh, easy for me to get lost in the forest and kind of just like, you know, just, uh, to confuse the, the trees for the forest and they get all down in the press. Cause I mean, like, you know, and it's important to kind of like, it's important to call it out and go, wait, I'm, I'm not saying this is the cure for people who have 
depression. I just mean how to kind of move past the point of um, just just for someone for a person like myself who doesn't struggle with clinical depression or anything that I would really need medication for the ability to say what I'm going through right now, what I feel isn't necessarily the reality of what's going on here. And I'm going to trust that my prayer. So this is just in the context of prayer, that the prayer that I'm, the prayers that I'm doing are important. And that's where, and that's one of the reasons why I think, like we talked about earlier, consistency is so important. Because again, when we can do it, when it's hard, especially when we, you know, do not, uh, do not, when we, when we really don't, don't want to, we, we can trust that maybe down the road, then no, that down the road, it will bear, it will bear fruit in our lives. How's that, Gormley? That's great, man. That was great. Um, I I do think that. So if you're so locked in a mental state of depression. Um, I read an article written by a or commented upon by an Episcopalian, and the comment was, praise God, I belong to a liturgical tradition. This is one of the many reasons why I love my Episcopalian faith. And the guy was, uh, I was back when I was a youth minister, and he was writing uh, Center for Parent Youth Understanding or something like that, cpyu.org. So I clicked it, and I went through it, and it, essentially it was that... Um, there were studies done on what helps mitigate experience of, of extreme depression, um, what helps mitigate or remove thought, thoughts of, like, suicidal tendencies. I'm trying to remember the exact thing. But what gets a person through the lowest part of experiencing a season of depression? And one of the things they found was that prayer helps, right? Prayer, and, and just these are just scientists talking about it. They said that prayer helps. The The idea that there is a someone outside of me who is benevolent and not malevolent, who desires my good, helps me endure the bad. It's even more so for Christians who believe that Christ endured the bad and your sufferings now have meaning. But then they said something interesting. They said they found that the people who did the most sustained, like, um, you know, it's not that it cured your depression. I'm not trying to say that or give people that impression, but you could deal with it without it crushing you completely, even though you feel like you're being crushed. The guy said, or the, the author of the study said, was memorized prayers, especially in liturgy. And they said the reason why, or maybe not especially in liturgy. He said the reason why is people who are going through depression, and I think this question speaks to it, have no mental energy left, right? That's why you're depressed, right? It just sat, I mean, I, I can imagine, or I can remember growing up where my mom, she literally apologized after she got on the right medicine. She said, I just think back of your childhood and how many days I spent laying on the couch. I thought I was tired. I had no idea how depressed I was. And, you know, you, you think about that. And it just breaks your heart, right? Um, kind of got a little choked up there. Um, the, they said that you, because you have no energy, let alone you have, you have, you're in the negative with creative energy, speaking on your own is almost impossible with your own words. And they said, so people fall back on the words of their tradition. You know, as Catholics, we would say the rich treasury of memorized prayers, of things that we have. Uh, you know, if you don't feel, feel, overwhelmingly you feel like not praying. I mean, what better prayer than a Divine Mercy Chaplet, right? Like it's short. It just focuses on the passion of Christ. 
and it helps you to connect. St. Paul says, uh, I make up in my own body what is lacking the afflictions of Christ in Colossians chapter one. Like what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Are we not beaten enough? No, it's when we get to join our sufferings with his sufferings, right? And those who are, who, if you struggle with depression, you're listening out there, you're, you're not bad because you don't want to pray. That's just part of being depressed. However, don't, don't completely run away from it, right? So meditate on the cross or, or just pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary or the joyful if that's what helps take your mind up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, or ch- change your Facebook pro- profile p- picture to Christ Here it on, is. on the cross. Here it is, and, ladies and, and gentlemen. You know, Here's and, Luke. You're going to go. Here's Luke. Here's Luke making fun of old Michael Gormley's lowest time in his life. <laughs> no, you are. I'm just kidding. I'm no, you're not kidding at all. And you have every right to not kid. I literally. I would took... make those jokes if it hadn't worked out. So the reason why Luke says this, for those of you who are not binge listeners, is when I broke up with my now wife when we were dating, and then I tried to get her back, and she shot me down multiple times after I proposed to her, and she still shot me down. My changed my Facebook picture to Christ being stripped of his garments. <laughs> Because I felt like the Lord was stripping away all that I am. And if you're my friend on Facebook, <laughs> go to my profile picture and just go in the opposite direction about 30 times. And you'll find it. will eventually cycle you around to the first one. And then, oh, it's awful. And, people and I went from there to the crucifixion. the moody one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, let's, let's end um, with this one. Or we can just keep going. Who cares? Uh, one of our one of our awesome listeners asked, "How do you get out of a spiritual funk?" So, how do you get out of a spiritual badoom funk? Uh, okay, I am not an advanced prayer person, so my spiritual funks are self-imposed due to habitual venial sin, <laughs> due to me being stupid about my life and not being consistent. That's what puts me in the funk, right? Like, let's be honest. I am not going through a dark night. <laughs> I am just, I am just yeah, more yeah. enamored with the things of this world than I am of God. And so what, <laughs> God, I sound like I'm being very preachy today. Um, but uh, the whole thing that happens is I just love playing Xbox more than Jesus, like more than praying. I really do. Sometimes a good kill on Call of Duty is, is worth a thousand Hail Marys. And I say that because I am a broken person, meaning when I'm in a, when I'm, yeah, I just, it's my lack of, it's my sin that pulls me from it. It's my sin. It's not the fact that I'm holy. There are some people because they're so dang holy, like Mother Teresa, 30 years of desolation. They are so holy. It is an absolute purification why it feels so awful to pray. That ain't me. Luke, St. Luke, what about you? Well, I mean, sorry, but like what um, gets you out of it? It stops sinning. Go to confession, oh, and then I fast. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm a dick. Yeah. No, and then I, <laughs> I'll, I'll fast. I realize you're putting the throat lessons in your mouth, so let me talk a little bit longer so you can get that puppy down a little bit. Uh, I will fast. Fasting is always powerful for me. And I will wake up at 530 and actually go downstairs, make coffee, and before the coffee is done, I am reading scripture. That is the most powerful thing I can do. I realized in my own life that reading um, spiritual theology actually is a distraction for my spiritual life. I need to read that spiritual theology at a different time during the day, not during my prayer. And I don't mean spiritual, I mean books on like spiritual, spirituality, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, books on prayer, I end up not praying. I just read the books, right? So I need to read the books at a different time and pray instead. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I, I'm of the same ilk as you where it's really good for me to disrupt whatever I, I typically do. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, and I actually heard this from, because I, I, I remember it was like way back when I talked about how I was having a hard time with my prayer life and I was going over like how I pray every day, like like what my prayer is like when I, when I, I do pray and stuff. And I, and I, we got a, I got, um, I uh, had a Facebook message from, I think it was Chris Donato. So good. Uh, and he just kind of like gave me some, some advice and it was really good. And, and I've heard this like echoed through other people with like other things, especially um, uh, when Matt Fred talked about habitual, no, not Matt Fred, sorry, Father Sean Kilconi talked about habitual like sin. And one of the great ways when you get into it's like ritual, and I think that's true. That when we do it, when we're like in, the, when we're like in these fucks. So we don't pray, and then we don't pray like one day. Then it's two, three, four, five, and then we're so deep into not praying, we're just having such a hard time, and we just like repeat the same things over and over again, and it tends to really just get worse, or it's just part of this thing that we do, and we just need to disrupt it. So either going to mass out of the blue if and I, and like not like receiving if I'm not in a state of grace but just go to mass and just pray the mass like do something like to like shock your system a little bit like jump you know do the do the equivalence of jumping into cold water so in order to break that cycle yeah yeah so like for me a good one is the stations of of the cross I don't pray them really as much as I should, especially during Lent. But it is a really good thing for me to do when I'm in a rut because it's so out of the ordinary for me. And I really – and I tend I like to like it. Um, it used to be that praying like liturgy of the hours was that for me. But now that's such a huge part of my prayer life that it's not. So just try to find those things hmm. Hmm. that – uh, just like you know, and yeah. you have to do it like once or twice. It, it, I'm not saying like like try like make that thing become your new way of praying, but just find a thing to just you know shock the system a little bit. How many people do you think, because of our consumer culture type approach to spirituality, only we only live by shocks to the system when it comes to prayer? Our prayer life is so wildly that, inconsistent yeah. that actually praying is <laughs> the shock. But but if you do have a prayer life. The thing that um, that you reminded me of is affective prayer. You ever heard of that prayer? The yes, yeah. yes. So, like for instance, Saint Francis de Sales talks about an introduction to the devout life. If you have zero spiritual energy, sometimes it's the opposite. Uh, I had a spiritual director say this to me once. Sometimes it's the opposite. It's the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. And if your spirit is weak, you just don't feel like doing nothing. What he says is, go to a crucifix. Your favorite crucifix. This thing, maybe it's like super realistic or whatever it is. And he says, throw your arms around it, embrace the whole thing, wrap your arms and hold it tight and say, Christ, I need you. I need you. That's right. Like, he's like, just do something emotionally go getting, right? Like not everyone, people are emotionally different. Me and Luke, we are, we are practically robots. We have no emotions. Mm -hmm. Other people are dramatic. And, um, he said it was poor, poor, exhausting people. <laughs> uh, but he said like that, that emotional wave, right? The whole point of emotions is to motivate you towards that which your reason apprehends as good. But if you just have no energy, then let your emotions take you to that good, good place. So like maybe, maybe you just have to listen to Reckless Love, but sing a slightly better lyric than Reckless. Oh, 
oh, I got controversial. Oh, no, reckless love. He's the 99. Love that line. Calls God's love reckless. I don't really think that's a good way to I forget how that song that song goes um no i th- i think honestly what what i think what we're trying to get at here is you have to pull a george a george costanza mm-hmm. <laughs> just do the opposite of what you feel like doing or would do in that in that moment in time so if it's like you bounce around from all different stuff just pray one thing for a whole week just pray rosary every day whatever yeah yeah if your prayer is i i remember there's a distinct time when i said I'm going to stop praying memorized prayer because I need to cultivate like, like, uh, you know, my own prayer, my own language, my own conversation. And then I realized that I had gone on that so far. And I've I've shared this before that I stopped praying (laughs) unless it was super spontaneous. It was just stupid. I was just in, yeah, it was just stupid. And then I heard an inmate say, I, I, I'm not good with this rosary thing yet. Uh, I'm a little nervous about you Catholics and Mary. I, I don't get all of that yet. He said, but this Divine Mercy Chaplet, you know what that is? That's ordered, and I need order in my life. And I'm like, okay. So I prayed a rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet on my way home, and I'm like, I need to bring this back into my daily life. Awesome. Yeah. I think, too, it's, it's important just to go easy on yourself and just really just trust that, like, the Lord's going to work and that there's a bigger picture going on and that you don't know, like, sometimes, like, if if you're like if you're really going through a hard time, the answer is more prayer. But the hardest part about that can be that um, you're not gonna see, you might not see the results of that or the fruit for like a, a while. And just being okay with that is tough. But that's growing up. And that's growing up. Sorry, that's 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 hard. That's just part of being like human. Just becoming of it. Becoming. A, uh, just becoming a better version of yourself. Becoming what you are. Becoming what you yeah, are. Yeah, no. Exactly. All right. I think we've botched this this episode. Good luck editing all of this. Yeah, it's just going to be one long episode. <laughs> Good luck, everyone. <laughs> all right, Luke. You got to get to bed, man. I don't want to keep you up too late. Yeah, it's fine. What are you going to do? Listen to the crunch? <laughs> Man, they were so happy when they realized in the Catholic card game that one of our Catching Foxes cards mentions the crunch. <laughs> That's awesome. They were so happy. Oh, man. Well, all right, everyone. Thank you. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Catching Foxes Podcast, Twitter.com, burn it to the ground. Although, Father Father Matthew, thank you for writing us. We will have you on. Me and Luke are excited about it. Um, and then uh, Patreon.com slash CF. 